So, if you're a little bit shocked that I'm here, <laughs> I might be just a little bit too. I'm so grateful, so grateful for, for, to God this week and I just really want his name to be glorified. And so I just add to Matt was saying, Holy Spirit, make our hearts ready to receive what you have for us today. So, like you, I have lots in my life that I am really grateful for, lots lots of really, really good things. I'm grateful for my family and my friends. I'm grateful that I live in a country where I don't have to worry about my safety when I go out onto the roads, that I have access to good health care and nutritious food and, you know, all of those things. I do. I feel really grateful for them. But I also feel really grateful for the tiny little things that happen in life, like the kids behaving or a cup of coffee in a long day or rain that comes when it's really, really hot that 30-second peaceful movement that I sometimes get in the day that's really, really lovely, or an encouraging word from a friend. Like, those sorts of things. They d- I'm just so grateful for the big and the little things. But isn't it true that when we are travelling along pretty okay, it's really easy to see the good things in our lives. It's so easy, and we're just, oh, so grateful for everything in my life. But it's those times sometimes that we hit the hard times, the roadblocks, the tough times, the troubles, that we, we don't naturally think of being thankful to God, do we? And I just remember a couple of weeks ago, Linda shared with us about um, a verse that God challenged with her last year with in James 1, 2, and it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And that really spoke to me. I've read it before, but it really was like, what? Consider it an opportunity for great joy when troubles come our way. It's not something that I feel naturally wired for. I don't know about you. But what, how do we do that? When we consider it an opportunity for great joy when things are hard, what does that actually look like? Because it says that when troubles come your way, when, so it's basically implied that we can actually expect troubles. When troubles come your way, each time troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And we've all experienced troubles of many kinds, whether it be um, the loss of something, whether it be um, the breaking of a relationship in our family, in our friends, anything that causes us trouble, it's usually unexpected and most likely unwelcome. And we, to respond to it in joy seems to be completely absurd. But in verse 3, Paul goes on to say, that for the reason to be responding to troubles as opportunities for great joy, and it says, for that you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Trials grow our endurance and our perseverance, and they're a process through something that allows something good to grow in our lives. Um, But I don't actually think that that means that trials and suffering is God's will for us, because it says in John 10 that, John 10.10, that the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God desires all of us to have a rich and, rich and satisfying life, a better quality life. And in Romans 8, it says, that, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is always working for our good? That in all things including the hard times, including our troubles, that in all things that God work is working for our good because he does and that's a promise that we have to cling to. New life comes from dark places. 
Would you agree? God spoke into the darkness and the world came to be. Seeds buried in the ground, in the dark, grow to be life-giving trees. And obviously, as Christians, we know that the um, darkness of Calvary and Jesus' death on the cross gives us new life. So new life grows out of darkness. So our hard times, our troubles, our trials, whatever you want to call it, are times of waiting for that new life, the good that God has promised he will work for in our lives. So when we think that our dreams don't seem to be coming to be, when we want, don't get that job we've, we've been waiting for, when we feel robbed of our joy, when things aren't going the way that we actually planned, when troubles come our way, so when, when, each time troubles come your way, you, we have the opportunity to turn to God and there find great joy. So how do we do that in reality? And I think some ounces we can find in Habakkuk in ch- at the end of chapter 3 where it says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no, no grape vines, grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. Isn't that amazing? Here Habakkuk is saying, even though in spite of the fact that troubles appear, I will rejoice in the Lord. And you can just see him choosing to rejoice in the Lord while he's in the midst of, of struggling. He chose to rejoice, to take delight in the Lord because when all is gone, his God is not gone. His circumstances didn't alter the level of joy or content that he found in the Lord. He chose to remain firm, to endure, despite the challenges that are going on. So this morning I want to look at just a couple of ways that we can foster that finding joy in the Lord and um, rejoicing in him, but also considering it an opportunity for great joy when troubles come our way. And I think one way is to remember to remember God's promises. So this involves knowing God and it involves knowing his word. And in Deuteronomy 8, it says that people do not live on bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're not designed to live on, on bread alone. Yes, God provides for our body's needs for sustenance and all of that. He's so good to us. But we are meant to be sustained by God's word. And I was reading the other day about the pressures that we face in today's world, especially in Western culture. It's becoming increasingly fast-paced and it makes carving time for reading, understanding and applying God's word daily more and more difficult. But the effect of that means that this writer was talking about Bible illiteracy, that Bible illiteracy is growing even in Christians. And he was saying that Christians know their Bibles less and less And then their children and their children's children have a weaker understanding of the word. And it's becoming so urgent for us to read and reread God's word so we don't sacrifice the importance of knowing God's word but preserve the heritage and for the generations to come. It's so important that we read and know God's word because it guides us and encourages us. And the Bible tells us to be careful to obey God's commands. This is actually something that we're meant to be, be careful to obey God's um, commands. But how can we um, be careful to obey something that we don't know? And it's, I guess it's a little bit, a little bit like 
putting a new uh, driver behind the wheel for the first time, never been behind the wheel, and saying, off you go, go on, out there, go for a drive, without teaching them how to, the car operates and the road, road rules, and it's pretty safe to say that they'll have an accident or they won't actually get anywhere at all. They'll just remain where they are. And without knowing God's word, his promises and his plans for us on how we should live our lives, we can't expect to know how to live in a way that pleases God. And as we learn, read God's word, we learn about his character and the promises that he gives us. So one of my most favorite promises that I love from in the Bible is in Proverbs 3, you'll all know it, that trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, And in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I remember one year I was teaching a year two class and that was like our mantra for the year. It was, you know, Colin Buchanan's song. You know, now if you know it, you're going to be singing it all day. But it was Colin Buchanan's song. The kids loved it. So we made it our mantra for the year. And so we spent a lot of time talking and discussing and learning about what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. To lean not on your own understanding. What does that look like in our lives? So amazing in year two what they're able to actually process. But all that year we learnt and we talked about it. But it was the time, it was the year that Matthew and I lost our first child. And do you know what? God was preparing me that whole year about what it meant to trust in the Lord with all of my heart that I had it so engraved on my heart because I wanted the kids to have it engraved on their heart that it was just the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind every day and it was what spurred me on in a really hard time. Isn't that the purpose of God's word? One of the purposes. And it also says in Psalm 23 that surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And then in Psalm 73 it says my health may fail And my spirit may grow weak, but the Lord remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. God's promises give us fuel. They give us strength. But I think there is one thing to be mindful of when we're reading the Bible, and that is that we don't read it for the sole reason of sorting out the problems that we're experiencing in our lives, where we pick up the Bible only when we've got a problem and um, we just want to... Um, find something that God says about that particular issue, and because sometimes it call, it, we can misinterpret what's actually being, what we're actually reading, and and it's not serving the purpose for which it was designed. And I think the Bible is meant to be read regularly, so we read it in the context it was written, and it allows the Holy Spirit when we read it and reread it and read it and reread it that the Holy Spirit brings it to, to our minds when we need it. I do think the Bible encourages us in our time of need. But our aim is to know God better and to remember his promises through his words that we can operate out of joy in him rather than in our pain. So another way that we consider it an opportunity for great joy is to recall God's goodness, to recall all the good things that God has done in our lives and in the lives of others. So recall means to bring back into one's mind. And we need to regularly bring back into our mind God's goodness to us and we need to find a way to not forget them. So some people do that by keeping a journal and I'm definitely a journal keeper and it's really helped me as the years go by to, to bring to mind the way that God's guided me and loved me through a hard time, how he's encouraged me 
And when I read that, what I've written, I can only be filled with joy because of God's goodness. If I hadn't written it down, it would just be gone from my memory personally. But find a way that you can remember God's goodness. And in the Old Testament, there were occasions when God's people would experience um, something of God's greatness and they would actually build a physical monument. And we see that in Joshua as they're crossing the Jordan River on their way towards the fall of Jericho. And it says in chapter 4 that when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, Tell them to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. And each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder. I I think it must be a boulder if you have to carry it on your shoulder, but not a stone. But anyway, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes in Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So Joshua wanted to build a memorial that would remind God's people for generations to come of the miracle that God had performed as they faced the fall of Jericho. A memorial is something that is established to remind people of an event. And it is. It's so easy to forget the times that God has been so good to us, to our family, to the people around us. And we need to take note of them somehow. We need to take time to take note of, to record God's goodness and faithfulness to us so that we can better recall on them when we actually come to a time of great trouble. Because rejoicing in hardship is made possible when we can recall the times that God has been so good to us. So we can consider it an opportunity for great joy in troubles by firstly remembering God's promises that he gives us And secondly, by recalling the good things that God has done in the past. So one final way that we can find considerate joy in trials is is by the way that we respond to God. How do we respond when we face troubles? The way that we respond reflects our level, I think, of trust in God. Do we really trust the Lord with all our hearts? And the Bible promises promises joy for those who trust in the Lord. Because it says in Psalms, Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord. It also says that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Joy is closely tied to trust. Trusting is a way that brings us joy. The opposite can be seen in a job where you might have a manager who's very unrespected, not respected by his employees. And he has not earned the trust of his employees. So basically, everyone is unhappy. Nobody skips to work and says, I can't wait to get to work today. It generally has a bitter atmosphere and people are complaining, whether it's inwardly or outwardly. Basically, everyone's not happy and nobody wants to go to work. Nobody wants to be there. God has proven himself so trustworthy But without our choice to trust God, we will still feel discontent in our lives. So a definition for for contentment is being intentional in appreciating all that we have 
and not wanting something that we don't have. So contentment turns what we have right now into enough. So contentment turns what we have right now into enough, into sufficient for us. So are we living lives that reflect that God is all that we need? We just sang about that. Lord, you're all I want, you're all I need. When we walk out those doors, is that what we, re- we are reflecting, really reflecting? Are we looking for ways to make ourselves happier and more content? Do we want a better house? Guilty. A better job? More time? More money? Are we constantly seeking more, better, different? It's all of that causing us to be distracted away from God. And are we trusting that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory? That's pretty rich. Do you believe that God is always good and that you are always loved and that he will withhold no good thing from us that we need? And in Romans 8 it says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God gave up his only son, the ultimate sacrifice. Why? For our good. If he did that, won't he also give us all the things that he deems best and right for us? Can we trust him in that? We can easily be tempted to think that our difficulties, our troubles, what trials, whatever you want to call them, it's easy to be tempted to think that God can't really be trusted to care for the good in our life. But I don't think the presence of difficult times means that God is not in control. Because I don't think God always changes our circumstances. We're all about, don't like this, I want it to stop, instant. God doesn't always change our circumstances. He changes us. And change in us goes hand in hand very often with chaos. I think I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. It often happens with chaos and we don't like it. I also read the other day about a term called selective faith. How sometimes we choose to trust God when things are going well or trust him with parts of our lives but not others. I'll just keep hold of that little bit, God, thank you, but I'll do it. This selective faith means that we don't believe that God knows everything and can be fully trusted and he works for our good. Rejoicing in the Lord, finding our joy is the fruit of our trust in the Lord. When we have joy, we know that we're trusting the Lord. How much do we really trust God? Do we trust that he works for our good in everything? When we trust God, we find ourselves rejoicing where we wouldn't normally rejoice maybe even in ways that we didn't think we would have the strength or the know-how to be um, rejoicing. We find ourselves with peace that we did not know was possible. We can't deny the existence of our troubles. We can't deny that we, never ex- that we don't experience loss or hardship or pain, but we can choose to consider it an opportunity for great joy because we will develop endurance and perseverance. And I just have one um, final thought that I really, God's been speaking to me about all week, and it's, I think sometimes we think that troubles and joy is a step-by-step process. So step one, experience trouble. Step two, I'm out of it, I'll experience joy. But I actually think that they're fluid, they move together. And I had this picture of the ruts in a road, like out in the bush, you know, your tyre tracks. 
they run side by side. And when you look to the horizon, if it's straight, of course, the two meet. They look as one, don't they? And I think that it's a little bit with, with our, it's like our troubles and our joy. They travel together. They happen at the same time. And sometimes when you're going along the track, there's, I don't know, there's rain, there's a big puddle or a bump or something, and the car can go a little bit off course, up higher one side than the other. And I think that's a little bit like our focus, is sometimes one-sided when we focus more on our troubles and less on the joy that we have in God. So also when there's a new track started, it's just a little bit like following tyre tracks, isn't it? It's just sort of like a little bit of markings on the road. But over time, these, sh- these become shallow ruts and then they become deeper, deeper ruts, making it quite hard to actually veer off course. But isn't that like us? The more that we, p- we endure, the more that we um, learn about seek having joy in our troubles the more and more we will find it hard to get off course. Troubles and joy go side by side. They travel together. And when we live this way, we'll we'll be more content and we'll be more able to live our lives the way God desires us to. And we become better at leaning on God than not ourselves. Such a challenge, isn't it? such a challenge and it's just my prayer today that you'll just have some tiny little seed to come allow it to be put into your heart today how can you change in that area how can you make your ruts go deeper so that it's so hard for you to be easily put off kilt when when troubles come your way so hard and it's a daily picking you up your cross a daily decision when troubles come my way i will consider it an opportunity for great joy because you are God you are always good and nothing will stop you loving me thank you Lord